0: Being here this evening, and those of you visiting, welcome. It's really great having you with us. We really trust that you have already begun to have a good evening, experiencing God, and you're going to continue just to experience something of Jesus in your heart and in your life tonight. We started speaking a couple of weeks ago around the fact that God wants to position us to receive. We looked at Peter and John and um, Peter and John were walking to the gate beautiful, and there's this guy who says, listen, have you got some money for me? He's a beggar. And Peter and John look at him, and sorry, it's all we don't have gold. Money we don't have. But we've got something else for you. And What we do have, we give to you. Get up and walk. And immediately that person is healed. And we spoke about the fact that we can only give what we've received. And so for us to be able to give, for us to be able to truly minister and impart and impact other people's lives, we first have to have our cup filled so we can empty our cup towards others. I love what someone said once, that it's none of our responsibilities to fill anybody else's cup. All God asks of us is to empty our cups. And so we see Peter and John, they've received what we have received, we freely give to you and we looked at various ways in which we can position ourselves to receive. How we can allow God to speak and to deposit into our lives, so we can receive, but also so that we can then give. We need to be positioned well to receive. And then a couple of weeks ago, I spoke from Gideon, and I, I love the translation. And we looked at the New Living Translation. It's the first time sort of I've read the story in that translation, and. Normally, the older translations speak about um, Gideon, you sort of mighty man of valor or something, which obviously is is true and accurate reflection of the wording. I love how the New Living Translation renders it and it said, Gideon, mighty hero. And God comes and he looks at Gideon, who at this stage is hiding under a winepress where he's threshing grain. And God looks at him and says, Gideon, you already have strength. You are already. A mighty hero. Other people have fallen by the wayside, but you are actually pressing in and doing what your family needs at this time. And then God says to him this beautiful bit in Judges 6, verse 14 Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. We are, since the Lord was wanting to begin to even say to us, just as a small group, that we are gathering here together. I am sending you. Tonight, if you're sitting here, I truly believe that that is the word of God at the moment to us. And tonight, I'm going to expand that a little bit more. But God wants to look at you and say, mighty hero. Not only the person next to you or behind you, you. In God's eyes are a mighty hero. And He's wanting to say, go because I am sending you. Last week we had a great message. So enjoy. CEO, Christoph speaking to us about work. Christoph was a full-time business person, CEO of a construction company, just sharing some really beautiful truths about the fact that God is a worker, the first worker, and He's called us to work and to bring our work to Him as worship. And I want to encourage you if you missed any of those messages, especially last week's message, you can go on to our podcast, whatever your favorite podcast platform is. It'll be there, and. Download last week's message where Christoph spoke about work. It'll be so encouraging and inspiring to you. And I sort of want to tap onto that because the one, you know, as most things in the kingdom, there are two sides to every coin. so complex. When God is involved, it's never just the simple, straight answer as He speaks into our lives. And that's just part of the beauty of the mystery in which God works with us. And last week, Christoph spoke about the fact that our work is not only holy and precious before God, but our work brings worship and glory unto Him. And there is a way in which we can work that glorifies God. The fact that when we embrace our work for the benefit of others, that God breathes on that, and God is glorified in that. So I want us to sort of continue that thought a little bit, and i see you guys... Put your chairs back again so nicely after speaking. But you can maybe form those same groups that we had a little bit earlier. Christoph mentioned last week. I want to build on that. You know, most of us, our lives, we can, just our day-to-day life, you can sort of split very roughly into three. I know it's scary when you say it like this, but you are going to spend about a third of your life sleeping. You know, when that dawned on me, a couple of years ago when I was buying a bed. I don't know if you've ever bought a bed. It's like the first time I bought a bed. And I was shocked at how expensive a bed was. Just a couple of months before that, I'd been in a car accident and insurance paid out, and I replaced the car. And so one day I'm walking, looking at all these beds, trying to like get my head around the fact that these beds are so expensive. And then it hit me. I'm going to spend like maybe an hour a day in my car. I'm going to spend like six or eight or whatever hours a day in my bed. I might as well spend good money on my bed. (laughs) But we spend a lot of time in our beds. We spend about a third, very roughly, some of us more, some of us less, of our lives in bed. And just sort of as an aside, the others I'm going to mention now, they have weekends and stuff that changes. The sleeping is happening. Holiday, I'm still sleeping. Maybe I'm even sleeping more. Weekends, I'm still sleeping. Weekdays, I'm sleeping. Public holidays, I'm sleeping. It's a large component of our life. Sleep is important. And then we have our social life, our family life, our friend life, and that is roughly a third of your time. Maybe a little bit less during the weekdays, a little bit more over weekends and holidays. It balances out roughly about a third of your life for sleep, a third of your life, social, family, etc. And then about a third of your life working. I guess we're living in a city, so maybe we must put a little slot in there, like an hour of traffic, and then the rest working. But about a third of your life you're going to spend working. It's a significant part of what you do. For us sitting here, I know many of us are students, and so let's just take that working and school, studying, put it into that same block vocational. So what I want us to do is just for a few moments, just to help us just remind ourselves where we are, is maybe just in those groups of two or three, I want you just for a few moments just to think of your work, your school, your study. What does that space look like for you? So the correct discussion, not that there's a right or wrong, but what I'm having in my mind, the discussion isn't, hi, I'm Philip, I'm studying economics. No. I'm in a class with 18 other students and we meet on Zoom once a week or we go to class. We walk just practically physically. What is it like? I work, sit in an office block and it's me by myself or I work from home and I'm sort of, I just need to get a coffee shop sometimes just to actually see other human beings and not go into a deep depression, whatever it might be. Does it make sense a little bit? Just describe a little bit of your day-to-day working space. What does that space look like for you? And then who are the people that you interact with in that space mostly? Is it clients, boss, colleagues, friends, works, fellow students, whatever? Something along those lines. Just discuss just for about five minutes or so in a group just for you. What does that space, that workspace, physically look like for you? Can we do that? Great stuff. And maybe just a tip here is maybe draw someone in that isn't part of your normal conversation because it, causes, it, it, it forces you to phrase it in a way that's a little bit more upfront. If it's your husband or wife as an example, you can just say, I work at the building, oh, I can know exactly what it is. If it's somebody else, kind of you have to Actually spell it out a little bit for them. So draw someone else into your group, and then, yeah, carry on. Don't let me interrupt you again. Another two minutes or so to wrap up that question. What does the space look like for you, and who are the people that you interact with in that space? Another minute. Okay, fantastic. Forced you just to think a little bit about your world as well. Remind yourself tomorrow morning when you get up and you you go into that world, what is it that you are going to? As I mentioned last week, Christoph helped us on sort of the, the one hand, what is it? Why are we there? What is the reason you are there? A good friend of mine, um, Hedy, who's a, a pastor in Johannesburg, he has this saying. He says, live everywhere as if God sent you there. And tomorrow morning when you go there, why are you there? As I said, one reason is what Christoph covered with us last week, to bring glory just in the excellence of our work, just to embrace work for the benefit of others and how that glorifies and honors God. Another reason, I guess, I've called it the reason you are there tonight. If you want to, you can maybe kind of have a more fun title and maybe call it something along with the lines of this little light of mine. Remember when we were little kids this morning, we actually sang at the end of worship, I had lead us in this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. And so I want us to look at Second Corinthians. We're going to read a lot of Scripture tonight. I'm going to try and not tell too many stories just for time's sake because it's Scripture that changes us. Uh, was it Susanda yesterday who, who said at the wedding, Rico Pansue is, by the way, successfully married. Uh, whoop, whoop. Him and Anya got married last night, and Rico, I mean, Susanda, who was one of the MCs, um, said something so true. You know, there are going to be two types of stories tonight. Some of them are funny and some of them are true. Um, and so stories sometimes are good and they're funny, but the Scriptures is true. And so I'm going to try not to tell too many stories tonight just for, for time's sake, but expand a little bit on Second Corinthians. I want us to read the large part of two chapters starting in chapter 4. And just a little bit of background, what happened in Second Corinthians up to this point largely is... Peter, Paul Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's encouraging them about the difference about what used to be and what is. What used to be is what we call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. That was a religious dispensation where believers, followers of Yahweh, of God, could not draw near to Him. And he uses examples like Moses, who was at this mountain, and God comes down to the mountain to meet with the people. And only Moses is around; is allowed going up on the mountain. Nobody else is even allowed touching the mountain. They should stay far away from the mountain. And as Moses comes down, his face is shining and there's this light that's upon him because he's been in the presence of God. And then in the New Covenant, it is so different. Because in the New Covenant, we don't have Moses who goes up on our behalf or the high priest that would go up later on. In our behalf, and once a year, the high priest would be able to go to God. In the New Testament, we all get to go to Jesus. In the New Covenant, the invitation is for every one of us to enter into his presence. And so he's sort of bringing these, the contrast between these two covenants to, and he's sort of discussing them. And that's sort of where we pick up the idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves be light in the darkness, servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this shining light in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. When we were kids, not kids, a little bit later on, just as I came to the faith, there was a Christian band called Jars of Clay. I think they're probably still around, but this band who just took this verse, this idea that you and I are just clay pots. Most of us, all of us, I think, this evening, you know this, the queen who recently passed away, one of those people who, for all of our lives, she'd always been there, perhaps not in our lives, perhaps not in our state, but sort of on the world stage, the queen was always there. And she was one of those people who you could always just count on, the queen is always there. And perhaps in the back of some of our minds, it's this idea that, you know, that this queen is always going to be there. And then you get the reality of a couple of weeks ago that even... The queen is just an earthen vessel. From dust we've come and to dust we shall return. But within these are, this jar of clay within this clay pot that our bodies are, Paul says here, you have got the most incredible gift. Jesus has turned on the lights. That there is a light that is shining in you, he says here, He has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We don't have to look at Moses who's been with God, but there is a light shining inside of us that comes from God being within us. He carries on. He says, we now have this light shining in our hearts. We are just these fragile clay jars containing this great treasure And this makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. What is our great power? is that inside of you and me, if we are followers of Jesus, He has connected up the battery. He has plugged it in, the plug. He has turned on the switch and the light is shining. And one of the big lies that the enemy comes and holds before us is he says, there is no light in my life. Perhaps we take that light and we put it under a bushel. We hide it a little bit. But I want you this evening to know that Scripture promises there is a light that is shining within you. And he carries on. He says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. And so we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life. we are not going to spend too much time on that except to say that I am eternally thankful that we live in a time where we do not have to fear for our lives every day because we follow Jesus. We live in a time and in a place where we can comfortably gather here and we don't have to do this in secret or hide. We don't have to run away because if those Jesus haters here we are here, they're going to come in and do atrocious things to our physical bodies. I'm so thankful to God. But in the midst of that, Paul says, and he carries on, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to Himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. God will receive more and more glory. It's so important to remind ourselves that all of this that we are doing, the end goal, is God's glory. Paul is writing here about his apostleship, about the fact that there is a light shining inside of him. And he is compelled to preach as it starts there. He says, but we continue to preach because we, just like the psalmist, we have a faith that we believe. And we believe because we believe. It causes us to speak. I believed and so I spoke. What is it that we believe? We believe that God who raised Jesus from the dead is also going to raise us up. I want to encourage you with that. Up in the things of this world, and they do really, really matter. Being a good parent is really important. Being a good husband, being a good wife is really important. Loving our neighbor is really important. But there is something that underpins all of that. You see, I don't love... I don't follow Jesus because He helps me love my neighbor well. And I don't follow Jesus because He helps me good, be a good father to my children. And I don't follow Jesus because He makes me a good husband to my wife. He does all of those things, but that's not why I follow Him. I follow Him because there is a hope of a resurrection in Him. I follow Him because I'm going to be here for 70 or 80 years, perhaps on this earth, Maybe like the queen hit 96, be here for a long time, and then eternity. And if you know sort of an inkling about maths, eternity is a little bit longer than 96 years. It doesn't diminish, it doesn't make what happens on this earth unimportant, but allows us to remind, it's important for us to remind ourselves that all of us together before the Father, And we need to remind ourselves that at the center of our faith is the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the firstborn among many brethren, and He will raise all of us together with Him. He says all of this is for your benefit. And then I love this, as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Paul's saying that there's this light that's turned on inside of me that is shining. And this light compels me to speak and to tell others about the hope, the source, the energy for this light. And as this light gets spread, it's sort of an infectious light. Other people come to know this light. And then there's great thanksgiving and more and more glory. I love how John Worship phrases this. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. You see, worship is the end goal of missions. That if everybody was already worshiping, there would be no need for mission. But because everybody is not already worshiping, at least not already worshiping Jesus, that is where mission enters in. That is where we enter in. That's where the little light comes to shine, not just to give bread to the hungry, but to turn the dead to life. To see salvation come, we're going to see that in just a moment. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And so, what I'm wanting us to begin to spend a third of our lives, what is the reason, the real reason, why God would have us there? I want to hold before you, it is at least two things. It is at least, as I said, it's not just simple one only thing with God typically in these lines. It is what Christoph said last week, definitely. It is to work, to work well for the benefit of others, for the glory of God. It is also because this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You see, it's for the work and it's for the people. And both of them in the eyes of God are important. And Paul carries on, he says, that is why we never give up. That is why we never give up. I'm reminded of the Winston Churchill who said, you know, we will never surrender. We will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them on the landing grounds. We're going to fight them all over the place. But we are there is a cause. There is a reason that's going to keep driving us. And Paul says here, yeah, that is why. Why do we never give up? Because God will receive more and more glory. It's the glory of God that encourages us, that invites us, that draws us into Him couple of weeks ago when I spoke about Gideon, I also spoke about that passage where Jesus says in Matthew that if anyone desires to come after me, he must take up his cross. He must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And so many of us, when we read that, we read that as this big, heavy, negative thing that God holds before us. I believe sometimes we can read passages like that as the big, massive, positive thing. I use this example, the space that you are in, the field, the line of work, the area of study or hobby or something that you really enjoy, that you really want to grow in. If you can imagine the best person in the world in that field, the number one, the one that everyone aspires to be, the one that kind of, if there's Twitter that I'm following one person on Twitter, it's them. If there's one person's videos I'm watching, it's theirs. Following them on TikTok or whatever, I'm learning from them. And they send you a message. Will you come and join me on my next tour, training program, project, whatever it is within your context? But you have to leave home for three months to do it. Invited by the greatest, the best, the biggest in the field. And so let's upscale that a little bit to... The God of the whole universe saying, come and follow me. And yet we get stuck at the cost and not the awesomeness of the invitation. And so there's this invitation to the glory of God. There's this invitation to follow Him. And we're working here from acceptance and not for acceptance. We're working here for the, from a knowledge of the glory of God, from an acceptance of God, from the love of God, not to be loved by God. You see, step one for us is to allow God to pour His love into our hearts. If we're going to walk out of here and say, I'm going to let my light shine, and then God is going to love me, I think we're missing the whole point. I love what Christoph shared earlier about the prodigal son. And just as an aside, because prodigal typically isn't a word we use too much in English, and because of the prodigal son, we use it totally wrong. (laughs) We think prodigal is the returning or the guy coming back or something. prodigal is the wasteful. The prodigal son is the guy who took, I mean, just think about this for a moment. Just, <laughs> I love how Scripture holds these examples before us, and then we, we dumb them down, and we actually miss so much of the power. So here's what happens. This guy goes to his dad, who is alive. He says, Dad, have you got a will? Dad says, yes, I've got a will. He says, Dad, am I in, am I in your will? Yes, you're in my will. He says, okay, give me what I want, what, give me what's coming to me now. That's an offensive conversation right there. He goes to his dad and he says, Dad, that which I'm going to get one day when you die, give it to me now. And the dad, in his grace and in his love, says, sure. He gives it to the son. The son goes and he blows it. In today's example on prostitutes and on drugs, he goes and absolutely just waste, gambles it all away and he ends up in the deepest in a rehab. And he's sitting in that rehab, and he realizes, you know, there are servants in my father's house who are better taken care of than I am here right now. Let me at least just go back as a servant. And he goes back to his dad, and he's expecting his dad to be angry and upset because he's prodigal, he's wasteful, he's throwing everything away. And you know what he finds? He finds a dad whose eyes are on the horizon waiting for his son's return. Not with a shambok so he can finally get hold of him, but so he can embrace him. And the father does everything undignified in the Jewish culture. He runs, he lifts up his clothes, The whole everything that a Jewish old man is not meant to do. This father just does all of it because he's that good, good father. And he embraces him and he says, welcome home. Go and get the best treasures. We're going to have the biggest party this house has ever had. Welcome back, my boy. You see, until we've discovered that element of God, we're going to try and say, I'm working at my father's house, at my father's farm, and now I'm going to go and I'm going to plow the vineyards. I don't know if you plow vineyards, but I'm going to go and plow the the landeraya. I'm going to go and plow the lands. I'm going to plant the seeds. I'm going to do the stuff, and hopefully if I work really, really hard enough, I'm going to come back and my father's going to love me. And The whole story of the prodigal son is that our Father's love is completely independent of us. Those of us who are parents, we know this. We don't love our kids because of what they have done or what they are going to do. I remember the very first time I held my firstborn daughter. and She gave this little cry. Some babies can really, really cry. Fortunately, we didn't have one of those. My brother had his, his... I remember going to visit him in the maternity ward him and his wife, just after that given, I think it was their firstborn. And I think we parked in the parking lot, and we heard their baby crying. <laughs> we knew exactly where they were. We just followed the noise of the bed one of those babies. Fortunately, I didn't. It was just this little half-hearted, little whimper of a cry. And my heart was like, no, stop, this is wrong. This baby shouldn't be crying. And it's not because she had added so much value to my life. It's not because she'd paid the rent in advance for the next 15 years. It's not because she'd already kind of done all of these things and she had now earned her worthy spot within our household. No, she'd just taken a couple of breaths. Every parent understands that, that the Father's love draws us. And one of the biggest lies the world wants to hold before us is we need to work for acceptance. We need to work for love. We need to work for approval and not from acceptance from love, from approval. You see, the prodigal son, when he went back, I think he worked in his father's house like no one had ever worked in his father's house before. But it wasn't because he wanted to earn his dad's approval. It's because he understood he already had his dad's approval. And so the idea isn't here to say, go out and let your light shine. And if your light shines long enough, you know, and you, you find a way to have your light shining through load shedding, then like double bonus points for you then God is going to love you. No. The point is we come to moments like this and we allow God to pour His love into our hearts. And we go from here knowing because He loves us, we're going to let our light shine. Because He loves us, we're going to, I love the fact we're just a small number of people here, but I want to hazard the guess. Absolutely no way to check this. Absolute thumbs up. But I'm guessing that if we each were to count the people that we were going to have an interaction with in this coming week, we would probably get in the thousands just as a group here. Just a small group of us here. We go into a world, into a city that's broken, that is crying out for wholeness. And a few of us are here and we can be gathered, we can be encouraged, we can receive the word and then we go out. And we literally, just a small group of us, are in a position to, in some small way, potentially influence thousands of people. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. And I love this. is Paul writing this. When he says our present troubles are small, I want to encourage you, go and read Scripture and look at some of his present troubles. If anybody on this earth had present troubles, Paul went through them. He died at least twice. That's quite a big present trouble. And then he'd be raised from the dead and he'd carry on with his ministry. He went through a bunch of stuff. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. And then we're going to skip just a couple of verses at the beginning of chapter 5. He speaks a little bit more about death and brokenness and hurt and why we carry on and why we push through. And then verse 11, he carries on. He says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. And here, once again, it's not a fearful, oh, shucks, I'm going to get a hiding if I don't do this. It's fearful in This is really such a huge invitation and responsibility that we get to be part of. This is fearful. This is massive. This is huge. Because we understand, in a sense, the magnitude of the responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? And I love kind of how he uses this phrasing here. I love how he says here. He says, God knows our hearts are sincere, and I hope you know we're sincere. I'm not saying that to make you feel better about this, but I love what he says here. No, I'm giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. My prayer for us as a church that as we grow, and am trusting God for incredible, spectacular ministry, that we're going to continue to see lives change and transform, people healed, marriages put back together, just restoration and healing in every possible way. The kingdom of God coming right here every time we meet. My prayer is that that would never be our focus and our boast, but that we will always say, God, sincere heart, it was important. Lord, we want to have sincere hearts surrendered to you. I love how Paul says it. I'm giving you an answer because people are going to come and brag about their spectacular ministry. And then you brag about our sincere hearts. That's what he says there. If it seems we are crazy, it's to bring glory to God. So if we're saying a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense to you, God is being glorified in our craziness. But if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. In other words, if what we're saying about this light that is shining in all of us, that God has placed it within us, that we can press through, even through the pain of death if necessary, because there's a light that is shining within us, if that is actually speaking nonsense, then I want you to know it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. And earlier on in the year, Andres shared with us a whole message just around those few verses. I'm not going to repeat all of that because actually I'm almost done with my intro. Because the passage that I really sense that God wants us just to spend a few moments, not long expounding, just thinking on. is this next bit here. We're going to get to it in a moment. Verse 18, but first verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. We only looked at what matters to me in this life. I woke up in the morning saying, Jesus, how can I be the best today? How can I get the most? What values the most? But how differently we know Him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The old life would wake up in the morning and think about, how can I make myself greater, richer, stronger, bigger, Whatever it is, a new life has begun. And we, we, what begins to happen now is I, my thoughts begin to change. And now I wake up in the morning and it becomes how can I make more of Jesus? Bring glory to Jesus, serve Jesus, honor Jesus. The new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against Him. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. I was wrong. It's verse 20 that I just really sense. God wants us to stand still for a moment. For we are Christ's ambassadors. Paul here is speaking about himself and the people that he's writing with, that he's ministering with. He's saying God has made us His ambassadors. I believe the word of the Lord to us this evening is what we saw earlier from Gideon. God is sending you as His ambassador. I'll stay just around the corner here and across the road from me is the Madagascar Embassy. So if I'm ever in trouble, I just need to take a running start from my house and jump over the wall and then i land in Madagascar. <laughs> and you know, there where we stay, a couple of ambassadors and stuff, and the one couple they like the e-bikes, especially the ladies, so they've kind of cycling with their electronic bikes around the suburb and friendly people love stopping and talking to people. You know, it's great just chatting to them, just people from a different country, different world. It's an ambassador and his wife. And it's just great talking to them. And when I'm talking to that and to them in that capacity, I'm just talking to a neighbor who happens to have a different accent and who cycles around on an electronic bike. But then, something weird happens in their lives. You see, there's a a thing that perhaps happens in the morning where they go to work, where they put on a different hat and they walk into a room. And suddenly, when you're speaking to that ambassador, you're not speaking to just the neighbor anymore. Now suddenly when he says what he thinks should happen, he is not saying what he thinks should happen. Suddenly now when he speaks, he speaks on behalf of the government of a nation. See, now when he speaks, he is representing an entire government. Now when he speaks, he's giving the formal position of his country around, it's the same person, but he's put on an ambassadorial role. He's put on a different hat. He's taken up an ambassadorial duty. And so let's just bring that back to Scripture a little bit. Isn't it a crazy, crazy thought that God would look at you and God would look at me and say, you are my ambassador. And I know some of us, when we hear that, we think my my neighbor, maybe my small group facilitator, they can be God's ambassador. If God was looking for an ambassador, that friend of mine, that that's actually the person who God would use. I say it's tonight, what the Lord wants to say to you is He wants to use you as His ambassador. In other words, He wants you to walk into situations. Perhaps even tomorrow morning, when you go to your work, when you go to your class, you're gonna wake up and not say, Oh, what does Philip want to say in the situation? But I'm an ambassador wearing a royal robe. And what would my king have done in this situation? What would he have said in this situation? How can I represent the one who has sent me? I honestly believe that God wants us to embrace this ambassadorial role, these duties he holds before us. Watch what he carries on as he says here. "Um, We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak For Christ, when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ as God's partners. So not only are we ambassadors speaking on behalf of God, we are partners with God. Isn't that another crazy, crazy thought? Imagine Elon Musk. Comes and knocks on your door. He says, hey, I want you to be my partner. Well, you got the wrong guy. And here comes God. And He knocks on your heart. He says, I want you to be my partner. He says, we are God's partners. We beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness. And then ignore it. And obviously the marvelous gift within context here of God's kindness is His gift of salvation, is the gift of the light that He wants to turn on inside of us. He says, don't accept it and then ignore it. But at the same time, I think what the Spirit is wanting to say to us is not just the gift of salvation, but the gift of ambassadorship and the gift of partnership. He says, don't just accept that gift and ignore it at just the right time. I heard you, or for God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Some of us have been saying, I'll wait for the right time before I begin to shine my light at my workplace. I'll begin to wait for the right time before I begin to shine my light with my colleagues, with my friends i wait for the right time. And yes, there is a timing element. We don't want to just run in and be absolutely just obnoxious and rude in the way we do things. But at the same time, I sense God is wanting to say to us, He is sending us as His ambassadors and now is the time. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Not the day after. Today is the day to start bringing the salvation of Christ. I'm wanting us to think about that space we described just a little bit earlier and ask yourself, what is the real reason why God has put me there? As we think about that, I want us to watch a short video clip. It's quite an old video clip by now, but it's just a great example of, of somebody who understood had a that their work, was more than just the work that god had a different plan with him and then after that we'll come back and we're going to pray with one another hopefully this will just encourage and inspire us a little bit about why we do what we do thanks yaku
1: i'd say what was missing was the satisfaction My life before Christ was uh, focused on making money. My life before Christ was uh, a totally day in and day out uh, existence that was, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, uh, uh, an existence of self absorbance um, and, you know, just doing what you normally do when you're trying to maintain a career in the movie business. Loving Jesus is what's most important to me. And I, uh, I know that sounds hokey, but it's the truth. My life is God's life in me for him to do with what he wants. My wife and I were living in Tucson, Arizona about 16 years ago almost. And through the family, we hired this cleaning woman. She's working with us for about two weeks. and. My wife kind of notices her singing that she does every day in her work. Eventually, after a few more days of this, went to Augusta and said, you know, I noticed your singing and um, I was just curious, you know, why is every song about Jesus? Uh, Perhaps there's another tune in your repertoire, so to speak. Um, And Augusta had a very interesting reaction uh, to the question. She literally burst out laughing in my wife's face. I just had to do that, sir. And Augusta said, you know, again, um, understand that the reason that I'm laughing is uh, you think the only reason that I'm here is to clean your house. <laughs> uh, so my wife, <laughs> she says, honey, um, I, I'd like to share with you something that Augusta just told me. And I said, what's that, dear? And she said, uh, well, she just explained to me that the real reason she's here is because in the future, you and I are gonna become born-again Christians and at some point after that, we're gonna have our own ministry. And I said, really? Hmm. At that point in my career, I was making more money than I could ever wildly imagine and just to, to hear uh, that idea vocalized at that point in time, was utterly ridiculous, Uh, but um, that's the beginning of the journey for me. When I got to a place of willingness to just simply say to myself, okay, I'm willing to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and I'm now going to ask God to show me what that means, and I'm going to read the Bible and apply it to my life to the best of my ability to have that understanding, that's when uh, this whole experience became very, very real for me. I'm Stephen Baldwin. I am second.
0: I love the story of that cleaning lady who understood that there was a reason why she was cleaning in that house. She wasn't just cleaning in the house because she needed to put bread on her table as a family, she needed that too. But there was a kingdom of God there was a divine assignment. She was an ambassador for Christ, and she embraced it. And so three things, just really quick, to encourage us. Perhaps maybe you're saying, Philip, that's great. I, I would love to let my life, I want to be in Augusta to somebody's life. But I don't even know where to start. So three things, perhaps, that we can embrace. Three things, just as we head into this week, that we can perhaps hold on to. And they're really simple. The first one is pray. Step one, start praying. Start praying for your classes, the space that you just described now. Start praying. Start praying that God would shine His light and His glory there. But also don't just pray sort of airy-fairy praise. praise, You know, know we love those praise. God, come and change my workplace. It's a good prayer. God, come in and turn hearts to you. Good prayer. Change that prayer just down a little bit. God, come and work in John's heart. God, come and work in Mary who shares the office with me. Work in her life. Make this praise. Put a face. Put a name to the prayer. We love sometimes thinking about mission as mission is all about going to different continents. And it is. We do that. We'll continue to do that. But mission is also sometimes just about going across the corridor. It's a great book. I encourage you if you can get hold of it, to read it. And it's one of those books that's really, really so well written that actually the whole book is in the title. It's a great book as well. Don't not read the book, but the whole book is in the title. And the book is simply called, Just Walk Across the Room. Sometimes all it takes for God to change and to transform someone's life is just a willingness to walk across the room. We walk into a room at work and there's the new person there, or there's the guy by himself, or there's the guy who's just looking a little bit down, and we're going to go and we're going to be with our clique and with our holy huddle, our safe space. Something so powerful happens when we just walk out of that zone, comfort zone and we just Go into the zone of the unknown. And we are like, God, let me just ask them, are they okay? So step one is start praying. Something crazy is going to happen when you start praying. One of the first things you're probably going to notice is you're going to realize there are other people who are also wanting to pray. And start praying together. Start praying together for your space, wherever it may be. changes things. And so you want to be praying for people. Something that I was told many years ago. It stuck with me. Never speak to people about God until you speak into to speaking. Um, is it even English? Never speak to people about God until you've spoken to God about those people. Step one is pray for the people. But then pray with the people. Don't just pray for them. Actually pray with them. You're going, you're having lunch together with a colleague and maybe it's, oh man, I'm just I'm struggling, I I can't figure out how to solve this thing in the project and it's getting me down a bit or my child is sick or we need to make decisions about which high school to send them to or whatever, just life. Take the moment and say, hey, do you mind if I pray with you? You don't have to pray for 72 minutes, just make our request be known to God. Be anxious for nothing, Scripture says, but in all things, with thanksgiving, make our requests known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. Yes, in our lives, but what about their lives? Be willing to pray with people. So step one is prayer. Pray for and pray with. Step two is that light you've got, let it shine. That little light of yours, how do we do that? It's really not hard. Be willing to be different. Just be willing to be different. Don't try and be different. There's a, big, there's a big difference between being different and trying to be different. You know, if I go to work and I try to be different, I end up with purple hair and big tattoos and everything because I'm trying to stand up. If I'm following Jesus, I'm going to be different. If I'm in the construction industry, as an example of, and if I go to the construction industry and I work there and my language is different, can I tell you something? People are going to notice that. And then the first thing they're gonna do is they're gonna get angry. And they're gonna start criticizing you. But you know what also is gonna happen when the pawpaw hits the fan, they're gonna knock on your door. Because you're different. You haven't tried to be different, you've just been different. You've let that light shine. When it comes to your relationship, you've been different. When it comes to honoring people, you've been different. When it comes to dealing with your anger, you've been different. Once again, you haven't tried to be different. You've just allowed Jesus to make you different, and you've not been afraid to be different. That's the best way to let your light shine. I'll never forget this example. We were on a hunting trip one weekend with friends of my dad's, and it's one of those things that it only struck me afterwards. So we'd spend this whole weekend with the people. and. The guy is an agnostic. In other words, he doesn't believe, but he also doesn't not believe. He's confused. And I'm walking, and there's this little I'm barefoot, and there's a little step about this high. And I'm not focusing, as I'm, and I kick that step solid as I'm walking. And so that night, when we're sitting around the fire, I think it was at night. I can't remember the exact time, but I think it was at night. The guy looks at me, and he says, I can see you're a genuine believer because you didn't even swear. Something which, I did not it, it, it's just something that God has, I hope, I was like, oh, Hillary, the way I speak, and you know what? It's not something I try to do different. It's not something I hope. I was like, oh, here's an opportunity now to let my light shine. It's just there was a light that is inside of me. And in that moment, it shone And an unbelieving world far from Christ sees it. Just allow yourself to be different. Don't run away from the fact that God has called you to be different. First point is pray. Pray for and pray with. Secondly, shine the light. Be willing to be different. And thirdly, invite people. I wonder if any of us here have ever been upset at an invitation. You know, even as a believer in residence, with unbelieving friends. Hey, we're going to go to this debauch thing. You want to come? No thanks, I'm going to pass. But I'm not upset or offended that they invited me. Hey, do you want to join me on a weekend or a week's trip to Italy next week? We're going to go skiing in the Alps. It's going to cost you 50,000 rand. You ready to come? Oh, man, I'd love to, but I can't. (laughs) Can't afford it, but thanks for the invitation. We love being invited. Even if we can't go, even if we don't want to go, we still love being invited. Be willing to invite people. Invite them into your world. Invite them into your life. But invite them to life-changing things. Invite them to a bribe with friends. Because you know something that I've found is weird? And just the way that, you know, when people, most of us, the majority of people in our world that you described are nominal Christians at best. Some of us are in beautiful environments where the majority of people are actually following Jesus. For most of us, the majority aren't. They're not authentically really committed their lives to pursuing Christ. And so they see me or they see you passionate for Jesus. Do you know what they think? They think you're special and you're great. And they think, wow, that's an inspiration, and I hope one day I can be like you. And that's just the normal flow of things. And then you invite them to a small group or a bride with a bunch of other people who are as passionate. And suddenly they realize, wait a minute, it's not Philip that's so great. Because Gareth and Susanna and Jacques and Mark, at the other guys at the bride, they were all just as passionate about it. Maybe there's actually something to this. It's not just this high thing that no one can attain that this guy has attained. Maybe this is more normal. More right for the way that I should live. And suddenly the shift changes. The the eyes, the focus shifts from Philip is so cool. Invite them into your life. Just send an invitation. Invite them to a life encounter. Invite them to small group. Invite them to convergence. Invite them to a jog you're going to go with somebody. Just invite them to spaces where they can see the light that is shining in your life. Even if they don't come or they don't want to come. Just keep inviting them. I can think of worse things to be ridiculed for, if that is even a ridicule. To be called, if I were to be in an office and say, oh, here comes Philip. He's always inviting us to stuff. There are worse things than people can say about us than you're the one that's always inviting. Be willing to invite. Come and see. So many people in Scripture literally came to salvation Because somebody just embraced these three words. Come and see. Just an invitation. A part of me is so excited about where we are at a church now. The kind of the flesh in me is like, God, this is so bad. We were like pumping in the evening services, filling out venues, two evening services in a previous venue at a time, and now we're a beautiful handful of people, a little bit more than a handful of people. Part of me is so excited about it. Because it gives us opportunity to invite. There's so many chairs all over. there. Stack more chairs there. We're going to pull them out for convergence. We need them other places. There's no reason for us not to be inviting anyone. They're not always going to say yes. They're probably very rarely going to say yes. But all it takes is one yes. One, I'm coming. One, I'll be there. You can change their life for eternity. That little light that's shining inside of you. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray with them. Let your light shine. Be willing to be different. And then invite them. Can I just also say, just before we close, we're not inviting them to shofar. We're not inviting them to our small group. We're not inviting them to our orange stuff with our logos and our websites and our Instagram. We're inviting them to Jesus. It would be great if it was in this family, in this fold, but the win isn't, yes, they're joining Shofar. That's not the win. The win is, yes, they're following Jesus. They're following Jesus. And if it happens to be here, hallelujah, we're going to walk a road with them. We're going to trust to disciple them, to see them grow in faith, to see them healed, restored, to see God just move mightily in their life. We will do that. But the end goal is not to have the biggest chauffeur on the planet. The end goal is to have the world see Jesus. And just as we're inviting, let's keep that at the focus. Yes, this is the vehicle we know, we love, we understand. We know God is going to use it. We believe God is going to use it because He's used it so powerfully in our lives. But I hope you hear my heart here. Yeah. We would love to have this place packed out. But I would much rather love to have a city calling out to Jesus and an empty church than a full church and a city that doesn't know Jesus. It's not either or, but I just, just want to clarify that. What are we inviting them? We're inviting them to Jesus, to know Him, to experience Him, to have that light. I love what Paul says here at the beginning. He says, and so, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. That's not... Shofar is not the answer to this city or this world. Shofar is not the answer to your brokenness. Jesus is. Jesus might use Shofar, but Jesus is the answer. We we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. Pray for and pray with. Shine your light. Invite. Hand out invitations like sweeties. Be willing to invite people. So what if they say no? They're not saying no to you. All you need is someone to say yes. Can we stand together? I'd love for us to pray. And maybe in another life, if I could sing, I'd lead us in a song of this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. What if we went into this week, this week, to say, Jesus, this... Little light of mine. Can we close our eyes together? I want to pray. Jesus, thank you tonight, Lord, that as we gather here, Lord, that it's not just a little light shining in our lives, God, but it's just a shining bright light, Lord God, because we gather together that can change cities and communities, Lord. It is your light. And so even Jesus, tonight we pray that this little light of mine, Lord, let it shine. Lord, I pray for every one of us that we may come to know that bright shining light in our lives so much more, Lord God. Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight, Lord, who has not yet come to the place of just surrender to You. The place of knowing Your love, God. Of going from here tonight, going from Your love, Lord. Not going seeking Your love. Lord, if any of us are like that prodigal. Running around and thinking there are things that we need to do to earn our Father's love. That Jesus, even right now, you come and you flip that switch in our hearts. And that we would know we have already loved. We are already loved, Lord. And we work from love and from acceptance and from approval, Lord. I want to ask, perhaps, while our eyes are. Closed, our heads are bowed. If you're here and what I've been sharing this evening has just really been encouraging you, and something inside of you wants to say, Yes, Jesus, I want to let my light shine. Lord, I've been doing it, but I just want to renew that tomorrow morning when I go to my space, I'm going as an ambassador. I'm receiving the fact that I'm going as one who has been sent by the living God to speak on your behalf to say what you would say, Jesus, to do what you would do. I want to ask if that's you, just re- there where you are standing. You don't you want to just raise your hand just between you and God. Just recommit your life in that context, your space, your ministry to God, and say, God, tomorrow morning, it's yours. Tuesday morning, it's yours. The rest of October it's yours, November it's yours, December it's yours. 2023 is yours, 24 is yours, 25 is yours. 2030, 2050, it's yours. I want to be like Augusta, who understands that I'm cleaning our house, but that's only my cover. I'm there for a better reason. So Jesus, I thank you for every one of these raised hands, Lord. I thank you for every one of these lives that are just crying out to see your glory magnified, Lord. God, I just commit them to you that even tomorrow morning as they wake up, that there would be a shift within their spirits, that they would know that they are ambassadors of a in their mouths. You would put your love in their hearts, Lord. You would put their light in their bodies. So Jesus, I pray that their light would shine brighter than ever, Lord. Lord, that this great treasure that is within their jars of clay would be a treasure that inspires and encourages others, Lord. That they would come bringing hope to the hopeless. God, I pray that there would be grace upon their prayer, that as they begin to pray in their workplace, not only would you send others to pray with them, but they would see you answering those prayers so quickly, Lord. God, that they would shine their light, that they would just be different, not because they're trying to be different, but because you have made them different, Lord. God, I pray for grace on their invitation. I pray for just an awareness, just a a boldness even to invite to pray for others, to say, can I pray for you? Just to invite people into sacred spaces where they can meet with you.